Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can now read me on the Fox Sports app and foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. There's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. I can't avoid it any longer. There are some other topics I have in mind for upcoming episodes, such as rules or other changes that it's high time the league make to present a better product, or whether our definition of what a franchise player has changed in recent years, but it has come time to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers in general and Joel Embiid in particular. The last hope for all those Sixers fans who were so cocksure that Sam Hinkie in the process was going to deliver them their long-sought championship. So cocksure, they embraced the four long years of dedicated losing that the Sixers went through with the utmost confidence that it would all be worth it. Even though I tried to warn them that Hinkie's novel approach to building a championship team was novel in large part because it skipped so many fundamental steps to building a championship team, and my warnings were met with derision and insults, I still feel for those fans. I don't like to see anyone get suckered or get their hopes up only to have them crumble before their very eyes. And I know there's probably still some Sixers fans out there that resent that I even present the process in that way, that it's still not over. And for a long time, I held out that same hope. I held out hope that MB could still deliver on everything that those fans went through and believed. And Maybe not now, but at some point in the future. One of the reasons I've been at this so long, gainfully employed and provided national platforms to talk about the NBA, for which I am eternally grateful, is because I have not only had the good fortune of seeing great organizations and their foundational players develop into champions up close but I've been around my share of organizations and what are touted as foundational players 
fail to evolve for one reason or another. If you know what to look for, the signs are usually there. And I don't think that's a particularly unique skill or ability I have. I sense that there are some fans out there that that are able to see these signs too. They're just more ready to tell themselves a story about a certain characteristic of a team or player and how it could change or how one characteristic could negate the absence of another. Signs that a team has the right blend of players, the right combination of personalities, skills, motivation, and mindset. You can feel it. And I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't have skin in the game. So I'm not going to be delusional. I'm not trying to sell myself on any particular team or player. I, because I know of what they're made of, can hope that someone comes through as I have with Joel Embiid. But as of right now, the teams I see that have the rudiments of what it takes to win it all, as in all the right signs, this season are the Suns, the Warriors, and the Bucks. That's it. Those three teams, as of right now, have the ingredients. They don't need to change a thing. They just need their respective cakes to bake. Now, which one winds up on top will have to do with luck and health, two pieces that are impossible to predict completely. Uh, th- those are part of the equation. It's a matter of, okay, does the electricity go out while that cake is baking? Uh, or is the cake dropped halfway across the room? I'm just making things up now. Uh, because by luck, I mean everything from the teams that they have to face in the playoffs and in, itch- and in which order, which they have no control over, to the instant replay decision that goes in their favor or doesn't. Now, one step away or one tier below those teams are the Jazz, the Clippers, the Nets, and the Heat. They're all missing something for one reason or another. But that element isn't so far removed that they couldn't acquire it before the end of the season. A year ago, I had the Sixers in that second tier, the one-step-away tier, largely because of Embiid. I was always firmly in the camp that he and Ben Simmons were not compatible and that I wouldn't move Embiid and build around Simmons, but do the opposite, and that I would do it ASAP, that there was no reason to wait and see if the combination could work. The argument for moving Embiid and building around Simmons seemed to be largely that Simmons didn't have the same anatomical struggle to stay healthy, making him the safer bet in that regard. That's rationalization. Because despite that advantage, Simmons never presented himself as being the team's hardest worker. Nor did he have Embiid's swashbuckling demeanor, the desire to have the ball and decide the outcome of a game. I love that about Embiid. It's a vital quality your best player has to have to win titles. Not just to be good, not just to be great, not just to get to the finals, to win titles. Embiid wants to put a team on his back, regardless of whether he's physically built to carry that weight. And if you ever want to understand the riddle of why LeBron James has been good enough to establish the phenomenal mark of going to 10 finals, 
but only won four of them. It's because he embodies two parts parts of that best player equation. He's going to be your most talented player, and he's going to be your hardest worker. What he isn't, or hasn't always been, is the swashbuckler, the star who wants to decide the game. I'll be honest, I put Tim Duncan in that same category. He ultimately didn't want the ball or want to take that shot. Now, did he at times? Yes. But that's where Manu Ginobili came in for Tim Duncan. And that's where Kyrie Irving came in for LeBron James. LeBron James's desire in those situations is situational. It really is amazing to watch after all this time because it's still there. Score tied or up by one or more, and the confidence and willingness LeBron has to shoot a deep three or take a difficult shot with the game on the line is extraordinary. To force the issue, to impose his will, and to be the guy. But make it a situation where they are behind by two and need a three, and he suddenly becomes judicious. The deep three he hit over Steph Curry in the play-in game last year, remember that? Everybody went all crazy. You remember what the score was? It was 100 to 100. And even in that situation, he gave the ball not once but twice to Contavious Caldwell Pope. Presumably because he was being guarded by Steph Curry and they couldn't get the switch. But not once but twice, gave it to Caldwell Pope, opening the door for him to decide the game. And it was only once the shot clock was about to expire that LeBron got the back ball back from KCP because he couldn't get anything. And LeBron launched the three. And that's where the so-called clutch stats are so misleading. They count go-ahead shots the same as game-tying shots. And they don't distinguish between go-ahead while being tied or go-ahead being behind. And all those situations involve a very different kind of pressure. Which is one more example of how numbers not only don't tell the whole story, they often tell a very misleading and erroneous one. But back to Simmons and the Sixers. In some ways, Simmons is just another version of Anthony Davis. He has the makings of a team's best player in talent and physical gifts, but not the drive. Having a player who can dominate his position, who can be a problem, as the kids like to say, at both ends of the floor, is certainly a critical piece for any title-minded team. But there's one truism about championship teams that for all the changes over the years in how the game is played and officiated, in all the ways in which I've had to rethink how I view the game, there's one truism that has stood the test of time. And that's that the best player is also the team's hardest worker. That alone won't get a team to the top. But without it, all the other elements can't overcome it. It's why I haven't been willing to get on board the Luka Doncic wagon. The talent, the vision, the guts to take the responsibility of winning or losing a game are all there. He's got two out of three. But by his own admission, he has consistently shown up not in shape. That's a hell of a thing to admit. A damning thing. I give him credit for acknowledging it and admitting that it has to change. But it's one thing to understand what has to be done, and it's another to actually do it. Still being 22, I'm willing to reserve judgment. 
that he's not capable of getting there. Sometimes it can be youth, although he's been a pro for a long time. So, again, not counting on it changing. But all admitting it does is put him ahead of AD, who has yet to recognize or accept that he's coming up short in that department. AD's admission is that he needs his teammates to push him, which is something I've never heard a player who led a team to a championship ever concede. That's the principal flaw in thinking that this iteration of the Lakers could win a title if only AD would step up and be all that he can be. This is literally what someone who goes by the uh, the tag Lakers fan on Twitter wrote. This is all on AD. He's supposed to be in his prime, taking over for LeBron. AD doesn't have that dog in him to be a number one. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Lakers fans or the media who make that claim are absolutely correct in all of that. AD is the linchpin. The Lakers fan wrote LeBron was being unfairly blamed, that this was on AD. That was the reason for his post. But that's not accurate either. Expecting AD to become something other than he's ever been just because it would produce the desired result is simply wishful thinking, in no way rooted in reality or consisting of a realistic expectation. AD has never given any indication his entire career that he's willing to be his team's hardest worker. At age 28, soon to be 29, after nine seasons in the league, after having a locker next to Exhibit A of not only what working hard looks like, but the dividends it can provide in LeBron. When AD didn't pick up the mantle after the bubble title, I was convinced he never would. And that's where I see Embiid falling short as well. He hasn't been around quite as long as AD. This is his sixth season, but he will turn 28 in a couple of months. And it already feels as if hopes for him and the Sixers coming out of the East is being shifted to next season. Now, some of it is not his fault. He just can't stay healthy, which means he is forever getting in shape or getting back in shape. It was painful to watch him against the Utah Jazz the other night in a pivotal stretch in the second half, jogging back on defense as the Jazz went on a fast break. Utah's big man, Hassan Whiteside, not exactly known for playing at a withering pace on a regular basis, coming down the gut and scoring against the rest of the undermanned and undersized Sixers. Speaking of Duncan, I can't ever recall seeing him at any point in his career, lagging behind the rest of the Spurs with the game on the line. If it did happen, you could rest assured that he'd find a way to immediately make up for it. Embiid could not. Embiid is coming back from a nine-game absence due to COVID. It was never made clear the extent of his uh, symptoms or if he had any at all. If they were severe enough that he couldn't work out, then his woeful condition when he returned is understandable. And I know 
practice shape is not game shape. But if the conditions, if his symptoms weren't severe, if he was asymptomatic, as they like to say, there's nothing that prevented him from still working out, still trying to stay in the best shape possible upon his return. And yet, he was far from that. He's been back for more than a half dozen games, and he still appears far from that. And the biggest bugaboo about getting out of shape for someone who has a history of his body breaking down is that getting back into shape, especially on the expedited schedule that missing time during the season requires, is that it puts tremendous physical stress, extra physical stress on a player's body, leading to more potential breakdowns. But Buker, I can hear some Sixers fans asking, wasn't Giannis Antetokounmpo viewed as not being a championship caliber player until he proved that he was? Didn't you yourself at one time suggest Giannis wasn't capable of leading a team to a title? To which I would answer, yes, he was. And yes, I did. Up until about a year ago. Long before he captured that title, I came to believe and said I believed that he was capable that he'd made the leap. But what was missing for Giannis is not what is missing for Embiid. Giannis's work ethic has never been questioned. And while I had some questions whether he could be that guy in the clutch who wanted the ball, I was told time after time by people either playing or working with him that yes, he had the desire to be that guy. In any case, he's always been the Bucks' hardest worker since he arrived. The reason I didn't consider him capable of leading the Bucks to a championship is because he didn't have the requisite skill. He wasn't their best player. So even buying into the idea that he wasn't afraid to decide the game, I knew that he didn't have the arsenal to do so. He was limited. You could shut him down. He wanted to go left spin back right, finish at the rim. That was the essence of what you could count on from him with the game on the line. Which is why Coach Mike Budenholzer would look to Chris Middleton to go win games without Giannis even being involved at times. And Giannis accepted it because he knew he wasn't ready. And yet he still wanted to win. But that hard work, his mindset, and his God-given gifts finally resulted in Giannis developing into a player who had all three essential attributes. Hardest worker, most skilled, fearless in the clutch. Now Embiid, I would say, has the requisite skill. He has a solid mid-range, he can knock down a three, he's not afraid to bump and grind and finish at the rim, and he can in a variety of ways. He has a pretty good feel for how to anchor a defense, not afraid to take on challenges there. When he's not tired, he can move his feet well enough to discourage a steady diet of pick and rolls. You can't pick on him at the defensive end. In fact, he's going to help the pieces around you. He also has the mindset, as in, give me the ball and let me go win this. What he does not have, though, is what AD does not have. What Tracy McGrady did not have. What Ben Simmons does not have. Can he be your hardest worker? 
Can he lead in every instance by example so that every player on the team does not have an excuse to go above and beyond and play their hardest at all times? The quandary then becomes, if Embiid can't be the Sixers' best player and hardest worker for whatever reason, then the team's hopes of competing for a title rest on finding a player who can make Embiid Philly's second best player and can make a run at being their hardest worker, which, from a talent perspective, is going to be really hard to do. I don't know that you get it with Ben Simmons, by dealing Ben Simmons. I understand team president Daryl Morey's attempts to get Damian Lillard or another bonafide star in exchange for Simmons, because whatever you think of Lillard and his overall ability, he would be the Sixers' hardest worker. I don't know of too many players who are more dedicated to squeezing every ounce of ability out of themselves than Dame. Would he be their all-around best player? Uh, in certain respects, yes. That still might be a little bit difficult. But the presence of Dame, the personality, and as hard a worker as he is, it might just work. Of all the options that they have, that one makes the most sense to me. But since I don't see any way in which it happens, that leaves the 76ers with a choice to make. Enjoy whatever Embiid is able to give you, which should be a steady diet of playoff appearances, while knowing that none of those appearances are going to result in a title. Or accept that the process, in all that it wrought, needs to be erased, all evidence discarded. Most of it actually has. Embiid and Simmons are really the only leftovers. So, end the debate on which one should be your cornerstone and move them both. Start from scratch. And this time, understand that if it is a championship you're after, measure that player you hope to acquire and build around. Measure his work ethic as well as his height, his weight, his wingspan, and vertical leap. Because if it doesn't jump off the page the way all the other attributes do, don't kid yourself in thinking that one day it will. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. As I've mentioned before, my schedule for doing this podcast has been a little up and down. So... I may get to yet another episode before this week is out or over the weekend. Uh, but otherwise, we will start again next week and try to get back on a more consistent schedule. I appreciate all of you for sticking with me through these up and down times for reasons that I've explained in the past and certainly went into in some depth in the previous episode. And thank you all of you for your kind thoughts and messages when it comes to uh, my dad and my family. It is much appreciated. I do feel as if this is a little uh, special group that we have here on the ball and has an intimacy that uh, I do not feel with my audience in any of the other mediums in which I work. So again, thank you. Your messages were received and appreciated. So we will do this again soon. In the meantime, as always, Thanks for listening. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 